0: morning church it's good to be able to be here worshiping together again today we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series in the sermon on the mount and my sermon today comes from matthew chapter 5 verse 8 which reads like this you can follow along on your screen blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god you know, heart problems are really the greatest sort of individual problems in the world. And when people go hunting, let's say for a new job, a new lover, or a new home, what they're actually trying to do is to satisfy a very deep and intense longing in the human heart. You know, although heart problems are not tangible, they're not physical, they're they're internal, yet they're so significant that they can can actually result in perfectly healthy people being unable to sleep all night. And furthermore, not only that, if these problems are left unresolved, they can actually lead to a a depression of the immune system, allowing people to become more sick more easily. You know, what's really interesting, though, is that on the flip side, though bodily illnesses uh, at times, though, can be severe, they don't necessarily affect the heart. So the heart affects the body, but the body doesn't necessarily affect the heart. For example, a person can be actually terribly sick or facing an impending death or execution, yet their heart can be at peace and completely confident in this time. You know, said of the famous poet Sir Walter Raleigh, when he was being led to his execution and his head was placed there on the block, the executioner actually asked him if he was okay with how his head lay on the block. And Walter Raleigh said to him, It matters little how the head lies, provided that the heart is right. See, do you see the power and the primacy of the human heart? You know, to speak of the heart is really to speak about who you are at your core. The heart is not just an organ that beats inside of your chest. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking just about the emotions either. Jesus is not saying here, blessed are those who are emotionally authentic. See, in the scriptures, when we talk about the heart, the scriptures speak about the heart being the very essence of a person, the very core of a person's identity. It's who they are. The heart includes the emotions, but it includes a whole host of other things, including thoughts, feelings, desires, and more. You know, Proverbs chapter twenty-seven, nineteen says this, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. See, this is why God is so interested in the heart. It's because the heart is who you are. You know, Christianity, I think, is very unique amongst the religions of the world in the great emphasis that it places on the human heart and not just external actions. You know, it's not just about our lifestyle and rules, even though true Christian faith does change the way that we live significantly. You know, oftentimes non-Christians will ask me, so what do I have to do to become a Christian? What what do you have to do? What makes you Christian? And for many religions, I understand, you know, why they would ask such a question because it's oftentimes, religion is bound with a specific activity. Say, let's say a set routine of prayers that you pray every day or a certain kind of hairstyle that you have to keep for the rest of your life and so on. But for Christianity, salvation actually does not begin with the hands, but it begins with the heart. You know, when the Philippian jailer experienced the tremendous earthquake while Paul and Silas were in jail, the text tells us that he actually fell on on his knees before them and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the text tells us what they said. No, they did not give him five rules to practice for the rest of his life. They didn't tell him, go and wear a specific type of clothing, nor did they tell him, go gluten-free or eat kosher Jewish food only. Acts 16.31 tells us what they said. It says, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Do you, you see what he's told? He's told there to believe. Believe. It's about a change of heart. That's the first step. See, religion often focuses on the exterior of a person, but not on the interior person of the heart. And you can see that actually in the way that numerous religions discipline people or punish them when they break the rules or what is societally acceptable in that religion or for dishonoring activities. But it's also hypocritical, right? Because you can see that sometimes they turn a blind eye to the dishonoring sins of their particular leaders or they are okay with their leaders hiding certain kinds of sins and not exposing that to the public. They break their own laws. You know, Jesus had a big problem with this. You can see this actually in his discussion with the Pharisees. For example, in Matthew 23, 25, where Jesus goes after the Pharisees, he says to them this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, We understand this at a heart level because it's not just God who who dislikes people with unclean hearts. We do as well. You know, there's a joke that's told about a man who has a heart attack and he needs a heart transplant. And the attending surgeon talks to the man and tells him, "Uh, good news, actually, we have two hearts that are available for you. One came from a recently deceased attorney, a lawyer, and the other one came from a social worker. Uh, Which one do you want? And the man immediately says, I want the lawyer's heart. And the surgeon says to him, well, don't you want to know anything about these two people first? And the patient says, nope. We all know this, that social workers are actually bleeding hearts. But I figured that the lawyer probably never used his heart. So I'll take the lawyer's heart. Now, I tell that not to make fun of lawyers, but rather I want to show you something about our culture. Do you know why North Americans who live in a litigious society, chuckle at this. We chuckle at this because we know there really are some lawyers out there who actually say they're here to help you, but in reality, they're here to actually help themselves, to your wallet. And in a world where the pen is mightier than the sword, a corrupt lawyer a heartless individual, an individual who cares only for themselves can actually do way more harm to you than a mugger with a gun can. And the worst part is they can probably get away with it legally as well. Now, if we stop and we think about that, if we despise hypocrites who don't help their clients but are there to abuse their clients and take advantage of them, how much more do you think God, who can see the human heart, the way that we would read a book, how much more do you think God actually despises hypocritical behavior? Okay, sure he does. Okay, so so what is the problem then with the human heart? The problem with the human heart is internal. It's inside of it. You know, in the society we live in, it's very common for us to think that all of our problems have very little to do with us and are all sort of the result of external factors. It's very common for people to say things like, oh, he had a poor upbringing. That's why he turned to a life of crime. Or if you're confronted on what you had to say, you might say, I only said that because they said this. In other words, there's a reason for why I said the things that I said, justification. We know what the interesting part is, when it's not bad things, but when it comes to good things, we're very quick not to make excuses, but we're very quick to actually take the credit for these things. You know, I was thinking about it, and I realized I've never heard anyone say, let's say they were diving into a river to rescue somebody from drowning. I've never heard anybody say, I, I don't know what happened to me. That's not like me at all. In fact, I was just going to let him drown. But all of a sudden, an overwhelming urge came over me, and I dove in, and I saved his life. I guessed it must have been my good upbringing, because that's not in me at all. You You realize, nobody says that. You know, when we're praised for doing something that's good, we actually love to receive that praise, even if that praise is exaggerated. But when we do wrong... We're very prone not to accept it, but we're very quick actually to distance ourselves from that or to make some justification as to why our behavior is not bad, but actually reasonable. When we do wrong, we look for excuses to justify our behavior as acceptable and not abhorrent. you see see what our bias is? Our natural inclination is to think that we are good and that we are not bad. And that bad that we do do is actually just reasonable. But you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible offers a very, very different view of the human heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, I remember when I was working as an engineer, I saw somebody with a mug that said, I'm not bossy, I just have better ideas. You know why I always found that so funny is because I think we all know people like that. You know, you tell them, for instance, you're actually really rude and unkind, you're pretty harsh with people, and you're a micromanager. That's why people actually don't like you. And though you tell them that, they actually can't see it at all. And they say, well, if people didn't do this to me, if they hadn't had done this, I would never have done X, Y, and Z. See? You see what your defenses about your actions actually tell about you? Tells you that you really do think according to what that mug has to say. You do think that your ideas are better than somebody else's. Because if they weren't, you would have listened to their advice instead and accepted what they had to say about you and that your own actions were wrong. You know, it's absolutely astounding to see, I think, that the head can actually refuse sound, logical arguments. Why? Why? Because of the heart, the heart that drives everything, the seat of who you are. You know, I think Blaise Pascal was actually right when he said this. The heart has reasons that the head knows nothing about. It's so true, right? Sin in the heart is deceptive. And it obscures actually your own vision of yourself. You can't see properly when you have sin in your heart. And all of us have this problem. See, this is why as a Christian, you can't actually believe everything that you think. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And you actually know this, right? How many of you have gotten angry at someone else based on something else they, you perceive that they did or they said And then when you decided to follow Matthew 18 and go and talk to your brother or sister about their fault against you, you discovered that what you saw or what you perceived was actually wrong and that the person who actually overreacted or did wrong was yourself. See, we're all prone to this. All of us have done this if we're honest, right? See, the heart is deceitful. This is why we as Christians have to be slow to speak and slow to anger because we do not know if what we are thinking or what we are feeling or what is in our hearts is necessarily the truth. See, the problems lie inside, not outside. Okay? So, good. Now we know what the problem then is with the human heart. Question then, if the heart is the center, what does it mean then to be pure in heart? We know what the heart is. We know it's the center of who you are. It's your core identity. What is Jesus saying here when he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart? Now, if we go back to our text here and we think about this, we realize that uh, this is tricky to understand if we don't realize some of our cultural assumptions. Now, in our culture, the phrase pure in heart, I think, uh, has, uh, is almost synonymous really with the idea of having an innocent heart. That is, we tend to think of people who are like, you know, always helpful, they're very soft-spoken, they're innocent like children, kind of like Cinderella, right, who daydreams and she sings to animals, right, and is always happy, despite how evilly her stepmother and her sisters actually treat her. We we think of that. We think of the pure of heart as being some sort of special category of people who have not yet been tainted by the evils of society and the harsh cruelties of life. But this is not actually how the Bible defines the pure of heart. I think that one of the best passages to help us understand what this means comes from Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4. It reads like this who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Question, who can stand in the presence of a perfect, almighty, holy, completely good God? That's the question that's being asked here. And the answer is one whose hands are clean of injustice, who doesn't idolize anything else above God, and that person speaks truthfully. That's a picture of the kind of person who can stand before God. Now, the New Testament also affirms this with very similar language. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8. Text says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you see how similar the language is? In fact, we learn here additionally that the impure heart is actually linked to double-mindedness. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Firstly, let's understand this. What, What does God want with our hearts? What does he want us to do? What's the first and great commandment? Look at Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, if you put all these verses together, I think it's very clear what it means to be pure in heart. Pure heartedness means single-minded devotion to God. See, a pure heart is... A heart that says, just as that old hymn says, Thou and thou only, first in my heart, High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Or as the psalmist says, right? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul, Lord, also pants. It thirsts after you. My soul wants to be satisfied with you. God, I want to drink from you, who are the fountain of living water. I don't want to drink any more from those broken cisterns that can hold no water and have only mud at the bottom of it. Don't want that. I will only be satisfied with you. That's the measure of a pure heart, a heart that thirsts after God and God alone. See, double-mindedness or impurity of heart is pursuing God while simultaneously pursuing other things as well. And James 4.4 4 tells us what God thinks about this. It says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Like, this is PG-13 language here. See, you don't actually need to be an atheist to hate God. You just need to put him in second place. You don't need to cheat on your spouse to be an adulterer. You just have to love something else or someone else more than you do God. See, you can't love the world and also love God. Your feet can't be in two places at one time. See, it's a spiritual equivalent, literally, of having both a wife and a mistress at the same time. And here's the problem. When you're in two beds at the same time, what it actually shows is that the ultimate love of your life is neither of those women. But rather, it's yourself. So, here's the question, you know, for us. If we find in our own hearts that we are loving other things while also saying that we love God, we have to ask ourselves the question, is God truly the love of our lives or is he just a plaything to satisfy our own desires? It's a very sobering question to ask. See, heart impurity is not primarily about pornography or lust, although those things are important. No, we should not train ourselves to love those things or to idolize those things. But the main issue here is that all those things are about one thing, actually, and that's idolatry. It's the lifting up the soul to something else other than God for ultimate satisfaction and happiness. Like, if you love anything or anyone, whether that's a boyfriend or a husband or a hobby or your job or the money in your bank account or even your good looks, so much so that when it's taken away from you, you find that you can't sleep, you can't eat, you're anxious, you text and you call everyone about your problems, and you're depressed. Do you know what that actually shows? It shows that at the center of your heart, maybe not at the center of what you say, but truly at the center of your heart, there's an idol there. And that is ultimately what you worship. It's, your whole identity is wrapped around this one thing, and it shows that your heart has been compromised. And although your head will reject it when that's brought up to you, let me tell you, don't believe yourself. You know, the predator that stalks and hunts Christians with great ferocity is actually not atheism, but compromise. I would say that compromise is a monster that has killed far more Christians than atheism has. And this is exactly what Jesus has warned us about in Matthew chapter fifteen, verse eight. It reads like this: "This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, what does it mean to be pure-hearted? According to the Bible's definition, it's not about being Cinderella but it's about being single-mindedly and wholeheartedly devoted to God and uncompromised in our worship. So what is the first step then? If that's true, what's the first step then towards a pure heart? I'm going to suggest four things, okay? Step number one. I put this in your outline. Number one, admit to God you have an impure heart. Now, let me just say, When we're talking about absolute perfection, talking about the purity of heart, we know, we know that nobody can truly ever meet that standard. Only one person has ever truly lived up to that standard, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived with a perfectly pure heart. And that's why we as Christians are so grateful for his work. For in his death on the cross, and also his resurrection, and also through his work, he promises that he will give to anybody his perfect righteous life while paying for our sins on that cross. I mean, that's the why we love Jesus. But on this side of eternity, you and I, Christians and non-Christians, even the best of our motives are mixed. And this is why we need God's grace. And you know, sometimes I talk to people, and I ask them about what they're doing in life, and they'll tell me stuff like, oh, I've been volunteering a lot lately. And I will say, well, that sounds very boring while you're volunteering over there. Or in some cases, your volunteering actually sounds very, very good. And I ask them, why do you do that? Why do you spend so much time on it? And they'll tell me, well, it's because I think it will look really good on my resume. Now, here's a question. If you could not put that on your resume, would you still do it? Do you volunteer at the hospital because you want to get a job there or you want to get into med school because your career actually depends on it or do you do it because you feel compelled to do it do you do your good works to be seen by other people so they will go better in your life or do you do it actually even if it doesn't benefit you at all because your father who is in heaven sees in secret and you love his pleasure more than anything else You know, renowned scholar and social justice advocate Pablo Eisenberg wrote an article entitled, Stop Appealing to Billionaire Egos with Naming Rights. And in the article, basically, he notes in the past that buildings, great public structures were actually named after people with great reputations, not people with a great amount of money in their bank accounts. And then he observed in his article how American bi- uh, businessman David Geffen had donated about $100 million to renovate uh, the Avery Fisher Hall, which is a concert hall in New York that was badly in need of uh, repairs. But he renovated it and wanted to have his own name on it. You know, the irony of his generous donation was, you know what's so ironic about it, it's because that he would only let it be completed After paying off Avery Fisher's children $15 million to relinquish the rights uh, to have Avery Fisher's name on it. So only after they were paid off and their name was family name was pulled off of it, would the renovations go ahead and the hundred million dollars be processed and his own name stuck on the building. See, you know, it's so interesting, right? Because even the most charitable acts of billionaires are tainted by this desire to be acknowledged. And even as a pastor, I actually feel the same pull in my own sin-affected heart, if I can be honest. I, too, also have this temptation to want to steal glory from God in the way I do my ministry and even in the way that I preach. I want to use it for my own ego-boosting. You know, the great English preacher John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was once told by someone that after he had just finished preaching a very, very powerful sermon, that this was the best message that that guy had ever heard. And it said that Bunyan, as he was coming down from the pulpit steps, sadly replied to him, the devil already told me that as I was coming down the pulpit steps. See why that's significant? Because do you realize how insidious sin is? It's not that you shouldn't be happy over a good sermon, but the point is that as preachers, we should not think that a great sermon that is delivered that impacts people's heart is primarily the result of our rhetorical skill, the faithfulness of our lives, or our own greatness. It's solely the grace of God. You could preach till you're blue in the face, but if God does not work on the human heart, it's all for nothing. God should get the glory in all of our ministries. And whether that's in preaching, or whether you're changing a diaper, or you're cleaning the floor, let people understand it's the glory of your God that drives you to do such things. See, what is your Christian faith? Do you live one way online or at your workplace and then another way at church? Why do you even wake up and read your Bible every morning? Why do you come to church? Why do you, why do, you do the things that you do? do? Do you go to church so that people will get off your back? Do you attend a small group so that you won't, people won't think you're a bad Christian? Do you struggle actually to give, but you give because of the pressure on you? The the, wor- the feelings of guiltiness if you can't tell people that you're not giving? Or do you gather with God's people because it's a joy of your heart to be able to worship him at least once a week together with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you go to a small group because you want to be held accountable for your sin so that you can continue walking the road that leads to life and not stray into the road of destruction? Is it a joy for you to actually pull out your checkbook and write a check and to give it and say, God, it's a privilege for me to share of the wealth that you have entrusted to me so that other people might hear the gospel message and might be saved? It's very, very different You can have two people doing the exact same actions in church or in life for that matter, but for two wholly different reasons. One, God-honoring, and the other, man-honoring or man-pleasing. See, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Okay, so friends, what should we do? What should we do if even the best intentions of our hearts have mixed motives? Number two, number two. Second thing we need to do is this, acknowledge that God alone can cleanse an impure heart. See, if you're not a Christian here, you have to admit that God alone, not your good works, are the only thing that can cleanse a human heart. And if you're a Christian, you actually still have to admit that your heart needs daily cleansing from God on a regular basis. You can't actually do it yourself. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? See, nothing in this world apart from God can actually purify the human heart from sin. Peer pressure, laws, jail can only change outward behavior, but they can't actually change the human heart. And if you think that education is the solution, let me ask you to consider this. Do you know what happens? If you give a criminal a first-rate education while they're incarcerated and in a jail cell and the heart does not change, at the end of the day, what you're going to get is a criminal genius who is actually better at escaping from jail and better and more sophisticated at committing crime and is harder to catch. See, as adults, all our knowledge and our education really does not make us better people. No, actually, to truth be told, it actually makes us far more sophisticated at hiding our sin. Why don't many people speed when they see on Google Maps that there are cops in the area? It's because of exactly that. I don't want to get caught. I don't want a ticket. A person with a mistress gets very good at deleting all their text messages and also their call history. See, when people look at the coronavirus handouts that are being offered right now by, for the, by the government, I know what's going on in people's minds. Can I receive this even though I'm ineligible? Because I really want the money, but what's the likelihood of me getting caught? And if the likelihood of me getting caught is very, very low, maybe, just maybe, I'm willing to take the chance on getting this. Because above all else, I'm thinking about my own wallet and not about what's right and what's ultimately wrong. That's our sin nature. That's why we even think this way. That's why our mind even goes down that road, okay? That's why we, as people, need to acknowledge the heart is so depraved, so wicked, that only God can fix it. Number three, third step, ask God to give you a clean heart through faith. See, how do you fix the human heart? I know everybody has a different answer. You know, I read one posting of uh, of a Hindu posting talking about how the solution actually dealing with uh, some sin is basically to have an early morning cold, not warm, a nice cold bath. And it stated that a cold bath actually will give strength and purity and can even counteract the ill effects of sin. Now, if that was true, I would be advising most of you as Christians to take probably 10 baths a day. Cold water only. Save yourself on your heating bill. Cold baths. But the truth is, you you and I know that none of these human solutions actually work. The heart is so sick that it actually needs divine help. You know, David, after he committed adultery and murder, knew that he had nowhere else to go. So he didn't run to the shower, but he ran actually to God for his mercy and his grace. And Psalm 51.10 tells us what he said. Text says, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, God has to cleanse us. But the question for us is how? How does He do this? Acts chapter 15, verse 9. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. See, do, do you see that? It doesn't say that the hearts are cleansed by their good works or their desires or anything else. But it says by faith, by trusting in a promise-keeping God who specializes in cleaning human hearts. That's just the same as what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. and says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the Bible is very clear that it is God who must purify the heart and that he is willing to do so if we're willing to go to him. And the surgical tool that he actually uses to cleanse the human heart is faith. Okay, so... If that's true, we go to God by faith, and God alone can cleanse the heart. That's his surgical tool. The question for us then is, what then is the end result if God cleanses our hearts and gives us pure hearts? And the answer to that is, you will see God. Now, we should stop and ask, what, what exactly does that mean? Does, does this mean that you'll start walking around in this world, and you'll ha- see visible manifestations of the invisible God everywhere, that you'll see God actually walking and you'll see his footsteps where other people see nothing. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think he's talking about primarily your physical sight of God who is a spirit. You know, when Moses asked to see God's glory in Exodus 33, 20, God told him that man can't see my face and live. Something about our sinful frame right now that does not allow us to see God directly lest we die. Now, the Bible is clear, though. When we do die, we will see God face to face. Psalm 1715 says this, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. You see, the expectation for God's people is that when they awaken from the sleep of death, they will come face to face with the king of all the universe. And not only that, as this text says, it will be satisfying to our souls. But on this earth, the question is, is it still possible to see God in some way or another? And I think the answer is yes. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6 says this, See, what is spiritual blindness according to the Bible? Spiritual blindness is the inability to see the light or the truth about the gospel or the good news that concerns the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. If You can't see what Jesus has actually done and see how it impacts your life. The Bible says you're blind, You may have two eyes in your head, but you're actually blind. There's no flicker or recognition in the eyes of people who are blind. When they read the Bible or they hear the story about Jesus, they might just say, oh, that's really nice. I'm glad it works for you. And you say, do you not understand? Don't you get it? Don't you understand that the Son of God died for you? No understanding. But the text tells us, however, when God opens the eyes of the heart, what happens? Light floods into the human soul. And the soul actually is treated to a vision of Christ and of God. It's flooded with brilliant light. And the light that emanates from the true knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us through The person of Jesus Christ affects the soul, and it draws the soul to Christ. And the soul is treated to a vision of Jesus, who is the image of the living God. That's how you see. So to be seeing according to God is not about having the pair of eyes in your head, but it's about being able to look at Jesus Christ and his work, and to be able to say, I believe. I see him for who he is, and therefore my soul is moved by him. I value him, and I tr- think that he is absolutely glorious, and he is the treasure of my heart. I see what he has done, and I cannot help but bow myself on the floor before him. I'm a sinner that needs the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I need his forgiveness because he died for me on the cross, and nothing else is more important. And if you know that truth you will be healed, you will see, you will have peace that comes down from above. You know, I put this in your outline, number four. If that's you, adore God for what he, who he is and what he has done. See, the very center of Christian life then, if you know what God has done for you, is nothing short of adoration and worship of the true God. Not coerced or forced but worship from a heart that understands what exactly he's done. See, and when your heart grasps the immensity of what he has accomplished on the cross for you, how can you not want to be with him? How can you not want to see him actually face to face and be there in his presence? See, is it any wonder then why the Bible talks about seeing God's face as being the ultimate reward for his people? Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the light and the lamp is the Lamb. See, to see God means to be in his presence, to be restored in a right relationship with him without sin. See, I love what the psalmist says in Psalms chapter 73, verse 25 and 26. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, that's how a Christian heart sings, a heart that's been forgiven and purified by God. You know, brothers and sisters, as we wrap this up, you know, it's very clear. I think that God calls us to be pure-hearted. And so important is purity and holiness that he actually says in Hebrews 12, 14, that we are to strive for it because without it, no one will ever see God. But I want us to remember that the purity of heart, as we have just seen in the scriptures, is not a personality trait or a Cinderella-like attitude, but it's actually a gift from God. It's not about whether you're Still a virgin waiting for uh, the first person that you're going to be married to, or that you've done things that are so, uh, you've never done things that are so despicable and so horrendous that you have like total regret in your life. It's not about that. It's not about whether you've murdered, you've stolen, or committed adultery, or anything terrible that you feel in your own soul can't ever be fixed. You know, David was in that boat, and yet later you'll find that God calls him a man after God's own heart. You ask, how is that possible? The issue of a pure heart, it's not what about what you have done in the past, but it's about where your heart is currently pointed to right now. It's whether your heart right now says, God, you are everything to me. You're my soul's delight. I need your forgiveness over my life. I need the blood of Jesus to cover over all of my past transgressions and to make me whole. I believe by faith that you can do this and you are willing to do this. And I claim that through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help me right now to be single-minded in my devotion towards you. Grant me that pureness of heart. See, do you realize that this definition of pure of heart gives hope to everyone in the world? It's not about your past. It's about who is working on your heart and whether your heart is ultimately satisfied in God. See, if purity of heart is the result of God's work in your life, then you should never be afraid that you've messed up so badly in your life that you will always be dirty and unclean. The gospel of Jesus Christ offered hope to lepers, And it offers hope to all of us who are willing to admit that there is a leprosy and ugliness in our souls. God does the cleaning. And that is the reason why there is hope, not you. You know, my question for those of you who are listening today is where is your heart? Is it far from God or is it actually close to him? When you diagnose your life and you look at it, what does it actually say about the inner condition of your heart and who you are as a person? Are you diseased or are you pure? Are you in need of a heart transplant? You know, this is the kind of God we serve. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's an incredible promise that God gives to all people who are willing to bow their knees before him. You know, I love this poem by Boyce, Uh, mountain that highlights what we really need let me read it for you it says this mary had a little pig and it was white as snow that is when it had had a bath as you of course might know but mary had an awful time to keep the piggy clean for it was just the dirtiest pig that one has ever seen She'd wash him and she'd scrub him till he would squirm and squeal, as if he wanted her to know it was an unfair deal. And then inside his green backyard, he planned from morn to night, unless he happened to sneak out and lose himself from sight. And then when Mary found him, he'd be blacker than ever before, so Mary'd get the soap again and scrub the pig some more. Poor Mary thought and wondered much what she could ever do, until she figured out a plan. And this she carried through. She took him to a doctor who put the pig to sleep. And then he took his heart right out, but not, of course, to keep. And then he took a little lamb and took his heart out too. And he put it in the little pig before the piggy knew. When little piggy did awake, he had no more desire to wallow in the mud again or ever in the mire. And try as hard as e'er he could, he never understood how such a pig as once he was could ever be so good. And so you see, dear friends of mine, you need a new heart too, just like the little piggy did, the old will never do. If you'll receive a brand new heart, well, here is how you may. Accept God's Son as Savior now and let him in today. Friends, the Bible is the only book in the world that dares to go beyond skin-deep religion and to make such a bold, critical, and terrible, and severe, and horrific assessment about the state of your heart. But at the same time, the Bible is also the only book to tell us about Jesus Christ, the only surgeon who is willing and capable enough to cut out that heart of stone from you and to give you a brand new heart of flesh that beats with truth for the living God. He is willing to give you a brand new life if only you will turn your life over to him to take away the curse of sin and death. And you know that he loves you because he died on the cross for your sins and that event will never change despite how you or I might feel on any given day. You know, if you're not a Christian in this world, my question for you is, are you willing to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and to bow your knee before him and to receive him as your savior? You know, brothers and sisters, if you are Christians here, can I remind you that you too need daily cleansing. We will never be perfect on this side of eternity, even as hard as we strive. And yes, we are commanded to strive. But every single day that we live, we are in need of God's grace. We are in need of his forgiveness. We are in need every day of having our hearts renewed. And we know that he promises, we know he will do it for us because he has promised to do so. If God died on the cross for us so that we could be restored to him and gave us new hearts, how much more do you think that god who loves us will day after day purify us if only we are willing to go to him are you hiding right now between behind a false facade of a christianity a thin veneer of religion are you hiding or are you walking with your lord wherever you are at right now go to him Confess your sins to him and let him make you pure again. And in the pureness of your heart, as your soul is directed up towards heaven and drawn to him, would you adore him and worship him for the God who is truly worthy of all our praise and worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, for your word. You are so kind to us, O Lord, and you give us far more than we deserve. Father, in our natural state, we're like the piggy who needs cleaning every single day, but nothing can be done, O God, for that contaminated heart. Father, we thank you, O God, in your mercy that you are willing to give us new hearts and to remove those old hearts, God, that were self-centered and directed solely to our own happiness and our own sin. And you gave us a new one. Father, we thank you that even though the heart transplant was very costly because it cost the heart of your very own son, you were still willing to donate it to us and to pay it all yourself. Father, we know that you love us. And we thank you, O God, that you give us this beautiful gift of being able to have clean and pure hearts and also the promise that one day those who are impure in heart will see God. Father, we praise you for this truth that we have just read today in the scriptures. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Amen.